I'll make you host. There we go. Okay. You can share now. All right, let's jump. Let's go. I don't know how long I'll be in the seated position. I might move to the standing up here soon. So if, if you lose me on the screen, you'll know why. Okay, so let me do my screen here. Happy birthday, Ray, by the way. Thank you. All right. Hey, let's jump. Okay. So, you know, I go through back surgery this week and Nehemiah keeps me charged. Like Ray, Ray texted me and asked me if I'm doing this this morning. I said, I'd like to, if I could, just simply because um, I've spent a lot of time, you know, with nothing to do and you do a lot of reading in different spaces. So um, appreciate the opportunity again. So we have, let's kind of review from last week. Okay. And, and essentially, there was four points that stood out to me. And because I'm teaching, I get, I get a chance to say what I thought was important. I mean, you guys obviously could have picked out something else. But, you know, a couple of things. First thing we saw was, you know, we had a lot of outside resistance. You know, so Andy Stanley makes a comment that we need to be stubborn about our vision, but flexible with our plan. So Nehemiah made some changes in how he, he did some things along the wall and how he worked with the people. You know, then Spurgeon made a nice comment. And, I talked about the sword to trial theory. You know, we, we started to see how we were surrounded on all sides of the wall, you know, east, west, north, south. And, um, we, you know, we, we really saw evidence of how as believers, we have to defend ourselves as well as work hard. Um, Packer made a comment about, you know, wherever, wherever the Lord's present, Satan is ever present. So I love the analogy of the lion on the chain being sovereignly restricted. That, that stood out in my mind here for weeks. Um, and then finally, you know, I, I think what's important to me in an organizational setting is you better find a trumpet player, you know, at the very end. you got to find people you can trust, uh, even when the chips are down. So a couple of key points that came out last week. Um, so, you know, Packer in his study this week made it very simple for me. You know, you, you, you close with the community that's rallying around Nehemiah. And in chapter five, we open with that same community falling apart, you know, ironically. And, and you wish when you read the Bible, you had time frame on when things happen. And there'll be a couple of pieces of evidence through the scripture today of, um, you know, how, how I wish we would know this was an hour. This was three days. This was two weeks. I wish we would know that. We don't. We have to generalize sometimes and speculate. Um, but it's interesting how things fell apart in this chapter. So let's, let's dive in. And again, I'm going to go, you know, verse by verse. Um, all the scripture I put on the screen is from the NIV, just simply because that's the easiest for me to grab quickly. Um, but my personal Bible is, the, is a, a living translation just because I like it because it speaks normal language to me sometimes. Uh, but then I'll grab all kinds of different versions when I get stuck on a, a little passage. So there's one of those today that, that, that went through three or four different versions just to see what everything said. Uh, so let's read through this. So it opens up. Now the men and the wives raised a great outcry against the fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, 
in our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying we had to borrow money to pay on the king's taxes for our fields and vineyards. And I'm going to read the fifth verse as well out of my Bible. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs. We must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our sons and daughters. So I think the first question, and we're going to spend a lot of time in, in these first five verses, what complaints came up right out of the shoot here? You know, what, 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 what did people raise as concerns? Famine. Yeah, they're hungry, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so I think what people have to understand is, you know, like when you're at work and you do special projects or, you know, if you at church have some special projects going on, people still have to attend to their basic needs, right? So I, I think what's happening here is when the basic needs get pulled out from underneath you, um, then we have panic, you know, and it, that's what it, it kind of seems like here. So I think that sometimes, you know, in, in corporate America as leaders, we forget people have families, you know? So like I always say this to teachers, I'll have a teacher that, that would come to my office as a principal and they'll complain about that rotten kid. That kid is misbehaving today. The kid swore in class. The kid got in a fight in class. The kid lipped off to the teacher in class. A lot of times my response back was, what, hap what happened to him last night? Do you, do you have any idea what happened at home? You know? I, I think sometimes we lose sight of, of, of a personal life for the people that we're with. You know, I'm living proof and I'll, I'm going to take a bird walk here. I, I, I got suspended from algebra class as a senior in high school. Okay. The lady got sick of me. I was terrible in class. She threw me out, sent me to in-school suspension. She went to the principal and said, I shouldn't even be in a classroom, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, long and short of it is, my dad had passed away of AIDS two months earlier, okay? She didn't know that, okay? Why was I misbehaving? Well, there was a reason, right? My basic need was taken away. My father was taken away. So I think that when you look at this, and to this day, I don't hold her in contempt. I really don't, okay? I was a bad, you know, I was pretty rebellious as a senior, okay? A lot of different things. It wasn't just my dad passing away. It was other things that made me rebellious. But I guess my point being is know what's going on in people's lives. So let's get back to this. So the first thing Ryan said was they're hungry. Okay, what else came up? And I'll help you with a few highlights. How's that? A couple of points I wanted to make. I mean, I wanted to start with verse one and say, you know, again, biblically, when the wives are raising a great outcry, you know that there's problems, right? Okay, typically the men, you know, served in leadership. Okay, but now at this point, the wives were also, you know, at, at, at a brink here, at a breaking point. Um, and, and again, remember, they're all fellow Jews. Okay, so they're all of one people group. Okay, so the first thing Ryan pointed out in verse two was, you know, they were starving. What was the next thing in verse three? Yeah, there's mortgaging everything they have basically to pay tax, to even survive. I mean, it's interesting to me reading through this that they actually got excited about building a wall 
So I feel like the basic need should have come first, maybe then the wall, but you know, all this comes out and like pivots right in the middle of the book, like, boom, Hey, we're like dying. Basically we're mortgaging all this. We're selling off our kids. I'm like, this is a big deal. Why is it in chapter five? Yeah. And it looked like the leaders were charging 1% per month, maybe up to 12% a year in taxes, you know? Um, so that's the next part of this, you know, was, you know, they were just taxed to the ears. They were mortgaged to the ears. Okay. So people were, were having to give away fields, you know, in order to pay a mortgage on those fields. Um, so they, they did have a, you know, a group of nobles. They had people like any other community where, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer, you know, kind of thing. And that's what, what, what was going on here. Um, you know, so I think that we had those things, mortgage to the years, high taxes, and then verse four, okay, you know, again, think about this. They actually had to sell their kids to slavery beyond mortgaging, you know, their, their property, beyond the home equity, okay? They also had to, I don't know what you call mortgaging or you know, sending your kids into slavery, but that seemed to be you know, a, a normal course of action. I'm glad today in our lending process that slavery of our kids is not part of that because in, in America, obviously we're so in debt. Um, but I think that's, that's the other piece to this was, you know, when you look at verse five, some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we're powerless because our fields and vineyards belong to others. Okay. So I think the stage is set for what what the internal kind of combustion that's going on and what's taking place. Um, you know, the whole point now is, you know, the community is falling apart. What's Nehemiah going to do? You know, how, how does he respond? Okay. What do you think Nehemiah's thoughts are at this point? Do you think he had any clue that this was a situation? You know, Brad, you brought up that comment that there were, there were some internal fractions here why didn't that get addressed before he he hit the wall um i i don't know i mean i, I get the sense that he was working pretty hard and wasn't paying attention to some of this and then all of a sudden it poured out but what, what do you think nehemiah's position was at this point well, i don't think i don't think the leaders previous to nehemiah were ones that the people could go to with this problem so I think they probably waited. I mean, it's a good question, but just my initial reaction to it is they probably waited until they realized that Nehemiah was a good leader and a righteous person. And then was, then came to him and said, you know, what they're doing is not right. Help us type of thing. Or it could just been straw that broke the camel's back. They had to stop working completely to work on the wall and they literally had no food. That's exactly right. And I think as you see, as we, we move through this verse, you're going to see um, the difference between Nehemiah and previous leaders for sure. I mean, that's going to be evident. Um, Andy Stanley spent a lot of time. He, he, he devoted a whole chapter to the difference of Nehemiah compared to other kings that were previous to him. And he called it moral authority. You know, so I'll, I'll address moral authority here as we move forward. But and, and the importance in leadership. But I think that's that's a very key part of this. So, you know, moving on to the next part, you know, I really want to just take a look at verse six. Okay. So Nia's response when he heard their outcry and these charges. So, you know, again, he hears it. He knows what the situation is. What was his emotional response? 
okay? I was very angry, okay? So again, you, you, you just wonder, what did that look like, right? So I know what it looks like when I'm really angry, okay? And I think we all have to understand as leaders, we can't suppress our anger, you know? So I think for me, I think suppressed anger is probably worse than true anger or, or reactive anger at times, you know? So I think that we've got to be careful as leaders that it's okay to become angry. It's what you do with that anger is how you, be, you, know, you condition yourself as a good leader. So think about it. I mean, Brad, you're, you know, your, your drive-through line is, is, is a 20 minute wait. Okay. You, I'm sure you've been as much as you say, have a nice day at Chick-fil-A and you're a great person with a smile. I'll bet you've been cussed at. Right. And, and I think that that makes us angry. So how do we deal with that? Well, I think the con, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the context is really important, right? So this, he, he's, why he's angry and who he's angry at. So he's, he's angry because he loves these people, right? As a leader, he cares about them. And he's angry because other Jews that some may even be working alongside them are taking advantage of them. And so there's, he, he's angry at his own people. Uh, and so I think sometimes we say, Hey, we get angry at the world. Well, that's different. We're not leading them uh, in the same way that we're trying to lead in this context, right? The, the people. Um, and so I think that's an important context as we think about how do we deal or address funnel, you know, our anger. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let me keep, you know, again, I think there's a, you know, little thing that came up you know, just I wanted to throw a slide in here, but you know, you think of that carpenter, and if you've ever done any kind of building, you've had a you've had a circular saw or something that gets dull. And for me, I'm always too too cheap and too lazy to buy a new blade, okay, and to stop what I'm doing to change the blade, okay, so that I can get back to work efficiently and effectively. I keep using that blade until it smokes like it's on fire, and eventually it doesn't cut. Okay, and then I'm in the same position as I would have been if I would have just changed it when I first noticed it, you know, so I think that as we're in the midst of a vision, you know, um, I, I think that we need to understand that we have to have a willingness to solve problems, you know, as they come about, you know, and, and again, there's, there's just a theory that, that's all here and we'll, we'll come back to this later, but I wanted to just at least pop this up. Um, that, that people need attention during a project, you know, is, is essentially what this comes down to. And I think Nehemiah learned that lesson as he heard what was going on, he became angry. Okay, so now you hit these next two verses and I find it interesting. You know, remember verse six set, finished with, I was very angry. So what does verse seven start with? I pondered them in my mind Okay, so let's just stop right there. I pondered in my mind. Okay, so that's where I, I got pretty hung up for myself in, in trying to study the different versions and, you know, and, and what they said, you know, so like the New King James said, 
after serious thought. You know, the ESV said, I took counsel with myself. The NLT said, I'm thinking it over. Okay, and then obviously the NIV, I pondered them. So you think, how long was this? You know, like, so there, there's a transitional word here, and, okay. Okay, so he goes from pondering this or thinking about it to accusing nobles and officials. You know, so he went from angry to pondered and then accused the highest ranking people. Okay, you know, I, I don't know about you, but that seems pretty aggressive to me. You know, I, I'd love to know, it drove me nuts this week, how long did he ponder? Because that would teach me, like, I always think I'm impulsive, but maybe I'm not impulsive. You know, that whole transition there really showed me that we saw emotion, we saw, you know, personal thought, we saw reaction, you know, so how long did that take? What are your thoughts with that, that little transition? Well, the one thing I noticed was that he, this was the first time that he, I didn't see him pray first. He's, he doesn't say that he prayed. He right. said he pondered in his own mind. So I thought like their sins must've been that egregious, you know, that, that he could, and it didn't say like he, he investigated their claims or looked into it further. It was just that he, so it must've been so obvious and so terrible. That's a great, I can't, I, I didn't, I didn't even see that, Daisy. I think you, you think about his exchange with the king and it had to be the same kind of setting, right? Where he had a major official that he was face to face with to make a comment or to have an action. And he prayed first then. Why didn't he pray there? I don't know. You know, maybe that's a shortfalling of Nehemiah. Um, I don't know. I, that's a great catch. I also think sometimes, at least I don't know. For me, I think sometimes there are things that that are done that are so black and white that you know, like you don't even have to think about it. Was this right or wrong? It was wrong. I mean, and I think the the thing I think that I've struggled with in the past is taking that first those first five words. I took counsel with myself. Um, I think sometimes I think I've, I've gotten better over the years, uh, parenting wise, uh, taking counsel with myself before I react to certain things. Um, but I think that definitely shows his maturity, um, not just flying off the handle. Yeah. The, I mean, if you, if we, as we go through it, the, when he goes to address the issues, he addressed very specifically. Right. And so the commentaries will often point very clearly back to the old Testament verses that, that where they were violating the law of God. So it was really clear to him. He's like, this is not how we're to treat each other. God has made this clear that we're not to charge interest. We're not to, you know, there are certain things. Um, but I do think, right. So Mike, to your question, how long did it wait? He waited as long. I, I think, right. The personal opinion. I think he waited as long that his anger was not in control. Right. He, he, so, and every issue, every situation is going to be a little bit different, but. Great point. I think he was also disappointed, you know, disappointed with the, the people he was working with, but maybe, maybe like you were saying earlier, maybe he didn't truly know what was going on until 
it all kind of came to a head. So, you know, disappointment kind of, you know, sometimes as a leader, you think, man, why did this get to this point? You know, so like, we, we don't know, we can't unpack everything there, but there's disappointment in himself, disappointment in the people and what they're doing in their sin. And uh, a lot of that is things that we can't control. And yet as, as the leader, he had to, he had to decide how to respond. And that's the cool thing that we get to see. Absolutely. So, you know, again, the first thing he did, okay, he went right to the nobles and officials. So I, I really see, you know, again, he had some options here on, on who he could speak to, you know, so he, he accused the nobles and officials. Okay. Then he says, and I told them you're charging your own people interest. So the next thing he did was he called together a large meeting to deal with them. Okay. And he said, as far as possible, we have brought, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you're selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I think initially um, it looks like one people group was the nobles and officials, and then he had a larger meeting. But I guess I'm a little even confused here. I'm assuming this is a different group of people. You know, it's a larger group that he then speaks to. Um, But when he says, so I called together a large meeting to deal with them. Okay. You know, I I guess he's dealing with them in front of the the general public is is kind of how we're speaking to this. So, you you know, again, I, I think this guy, you know, Nehemiah had unbelievable confidence, you know, so um, the, the, the other thing I think is that it was, it was so egregious as, as somebody had said, Ryan said, it's so egregious what was going on that the leaders were it, it, it immediately convicted, you know, so I, you got to believe that there was, you know, just this, um, you know, spirit that existed that God was in the middle of all this because he just convicted everybody that everything was wrong and humbled everyone so that they listened and there, there's no argument here. You know, at the very end, they say they kept quiet because they couldn't find anything to say. Um, you, you know, again, that's, that's pretty humbling. I, I wish that were the case when I was a leader and I addressed things all the time. Okay. We, we have an argumentative society, right? Okay. And, and, and how do we avoid that argumentative society? Um, well, one, obviously, Nehemiah did this where it was boom, 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 boom. They couldn't prepare themselves with a Facebook response, right? You know, there, there was no Instagram post. There was no tweet, okay? They just got hit right between the eyes. And I, I think that's something to be said is, you know, when, you, when you're confident, you know, you've got to go after it. Um, any thoughts to that? Yeah, I, just, I thought I thought this was brilliant of him. Like, I just thought um, to I, I imagined the meeting with the people that were being oppressed with their oppressors, and he's just calling them out right in front of them to to get one to to bolster them to you know and to set the set it right. And I just thought 
I don't think I would have thought to do that. But I think as a church, we do that sometimes, right? If, if someone in the church is so egregious to other members in the church, we'd have to do that. But you don't see it too often. And I, and, um, I just thought like, yay, win one for the oppressed in that moment where he calls them out publicly. Well, I look at leadership too. I mean, is it, if we know, if we know that people um, have other things they're going to deal with as they're doing the major task, you have a vision, right? That you have this vision champion. Is it smart for us to plan breaks, you know, such as retreats, such as sabbaticals, such as, um, you know, whatever you call them, but periodic breaks, you, you know, in production, simply to regroup. Because can you imagine what the work looked like on this wall after Nehemiah called these nobles out? Like these people had to, had to be in shock because you're going to see what happens, you know, as a result. I, I mean, the work production had to double, you know, because of their enthusiasm, I would think. Um, so it, it reminds me that when you're in it for the long run, you, you take a step back to take two steps forward. You know, I go back to the Starbucks example, you know, where Schultz basically stopped a day of revenue, you know, in order to do it right, you know, to progress several weeks ahead of time, you know, and I think, you know, I don't know, I, I, I've had this before. I had a situation where somebody asked for a sabbatical and it wasn't offered and, and, it, and it didn't go well. And, and I think people need rest. They need break. Okay, they need relief. And I, I think, you know, that's, that's what we have to recognize as leaders. You can't be a grinder 100% of the time. And I think we've all worked for a grinder as a leader. You know, there's nothing wrong with working hard, but you got to step back sometimes. I, I liked how he told them, he went to them and he told them, and then he called the meeting, right? So it wasn't a, hey, I'm going to call a big meeting and ambush you guys. Um, I mean, it doesn't sound like it, it, he was pretty direct with them, but then he called the meeting afterwards. And I just appreciate that from a personal perspective, right? Or a leadership style. He told them, hey, there's an issue. And so as a, you know, having managed people in the past and even, you know, I just went through my review at work, annual review at work. And my philosophy in general is no surprises. There should never be a surprise when it comes to that review period at work for me or for anybody else. It's like, hey, you know how you're doing. Uh, and so there was no surprise here. So. Good. Very good. Okay. So let's keep, let's keep rolling. Okay. So Nehemiah says, uh, so I continued, what are you, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest, give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. So there's appeals now that Nehemiah is going to make, obviously. Okay, he's very clear what you're doing is not right. Okay, so, you know, I think the first appeal that he goes through okay, is, you know, he, he's telling people, you know, in previous verses that he loved them, okay, but, but, but again, as we're looking to this, 
you know, we need to stop charging them immediately interest, give them back their fields, okay? Um, and again, this is where I think I got the, the 12%, if you will, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil, that's basically per month, okay? Um, so, so I think as we're looking through this, there's now a plan of restitution. So, you know, one big question Andy Stanley asked that I find it very, very intriguing. You know, he speaks to, like, look at verse 10, and he says, I and my brothers and my men um, are also lending people money and grain. So Nehemiah, you're going to start to see he's going to insert his own, um, his own walk, essentially, you know, so Nehemiah is going to show himself as a leader here, and he's been lending people money and grain, okay, but he hasn't been charging interest, okay, and you're going to find this out, and, and what Andy Stanley gets into here, which I absolutely love, is he's, you know, you're going to see, see Nehemiah talk about moral authority, so I think when we go back to those nobles and those leaders who, who took advantage of their own people for years, right? Okay, by, by high taxation, by placing kids into slavery. Can you recover your moral authority as a leader? Okay, and how do you recover it? That's a huge question that we have to look at as leaders. Like, you know, obviously Nehemiah didn't have to recover from anything at this point, but the other nobles did. And how do you do that? Well, the first thing he obviously tells them is stop what you're doing, right? But, but I don't think stopping what you're doing necessarily is enough to gain back your moral authority, okay? And I, I think that that's where um, we have to look at other biblical characters and, and how they did this and how they recovered from their egregious behaviors, so that's what we're going to start to see towards the, you know, from this point to the end of the uh, end of the chapter as, as they go through this. Okay, so we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out out of their house and possessions, anyone who does not keep his promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. So, you know, again, I, did anybody look into this and, and kind of study what that means to shake out the folds of the robe? You know, what, what, what does that mean? You know, I, I, think, I think Nehemiah is coming up with kind of an ultimatum here at this point. You know that that we're going to get an we're going to get that 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 opportunity uh, for restoration, okay? And we're going to be able, um, you, you know, to to simply uh, win win the favor of the people back. But it's going to come at a cost, you know. And I think if it happens again, there, there's going to be a punishment. Um, so so I think that's what we're getting to here at this point. Um, but what we'll see as we, we continue to move forward is, you know, that um, it, those nobles are convicted. I mean, I never saw any evidence through this whole passage that there was opposition. And I found that fascinating. Any thoughts so far? 
I think verse nine was that pivotal point where that really stuck out to me about um, walking in the fear of God. I feel like Nehemiah could have, I think maybe that's what his pondering too could have been back to, he came from a, a king serving a king and he never mentioned like, well, Hey, when I was a cupbearer, the king did this, we, we got to change the way we're doing. It was always about the fear of God and the reproach of the, like, it was always a kingdom mindset. And I, I think I just gained a lot of respect for Nehemiah that through that whole time, he didn't reference anything that he did prior or how they did it in the you know kingdom or whatever it was. It was always about basically their influence as the Jews. Like, how does this look to our Gentile enemies if we're basically destroying ourselves and selling each other off? And I, I found that very as a pivotal point. And I think throughout the rest, it's like he's changing the way they govern based upon their fear of God. And I think that was an interesting point there. Yeah, there's a statement I've, I'm going to finish with here towards the end that Oswald Chambers makes that I, I love it. I, I, it's, it's very, you know, it, it, it hits hard about fear and serving God. And I, and I think it's, it's how we all should be. And I think it's obvious what the way Nehemiah carried himself. So let me, let me move forward here a little bit. I just want to get to my, my notes if I can. Okay, so I know um, the one thing I, I wanted to, you know, basically get into was, um, you, you know, this is where we start to look. I, I had a note about the history of the Persian government, okay, and they always use their position to enrich themselves, you know, and I, I think that, you um, you know, when we look at this, shook out the folds of your robe, okay, this was an action of, you know, it's, it's, it's the Jewish act of condemnation, you know, so if, it, if you're going to have strong disapproval of what somebody's doing, you know, that's where you're going to see this, you know, take place. Um, so I think that's the part we're getting at now, is we're going we're gonna to see a difference with Nehemiah's behavior from the other Persian kings. And this is just not what people were used to. So I even think the nobles were surprised by, you know, Nehemiah because he had the right, you know, to profit as the king and did not do so. <clears throat> At this time, the whole assembly said, amen, praise the Lord, and the people did as they promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxus, when I was appointed to be the governor of the land of Judah until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. Okay, so here he starts by saying he's got full agreement with the assembly that he's speaking to. And now he's talking about, um, you know, the people he served with. And, and Nehemiah, this is where you see his moral authority. Okay, the earlier governors, those preceding me placed a heavy burden on the people took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to the food and the wine. Their assistance lorded over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall. All of my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Okay, so, I, you know, again, I think to myself, you know, we, we've all worked for people who have lorded over us, right? You know, that's that, you know, person who leads by fear. It's that person who leads by position. You know, it's positional authority, right? And, and, and I think, you know, I'm not sure, you know, um, you know, outside of like a Hitler of any, 
you know, uh, any leader that any, any success, if you will, by lording over people. And I think even Hitler had different ways of leading um, that, that created an outcome that, that he wanted to have as a leader. But, you know, as I look at um, how we should, you know, be servant leaders leading from the bottom up, you know, servant leader is not, is not um, you know, kind of a, a fearful kind of approach at all. I think people have a misunderstanding of that. Um, it's, a, it's a godly approach. And you see Nehemiah, when he said, I devoted myself to working on the wall, that's servant leadership. But have you seen a more aggressive leader than Nehemiah, you know, standing up for what was wrong and, and recalibrating? You know, Andy Stanley spoke a lot to like a realignment of a car. You know, as you're doing the job, you know, you, you buy a brand new car, even when you buy something fresh off the lot, it's eventually going to not drive straight and it needs to be aligned. And I think that's how people are. You know, we, we have to have those pulse checks. You have to have planned uh, review. You have to have planned breaks. You have to have planned trainings. You know, you have to have planned incur times of encouragement, right? You've got to have a Chick-fil-A brownie for the, the teaching staff at Mount Calvary. Ray, you have no idea, okay, what the Chick-fil-A brownie did for the, for, for the relationship between the church and the school, okay? And how difficult was that? I'd love to know what that cost to the budget was. You know, I imagine Brad probably was pretty generous with his brownies, okay? But I also know even if we paid full price, it, it would have been simple, you know? And I, and I think that the effect that it had was unreal. I heard about it from three different teachers in about 20 minutes, you know, and I didn't even know the thing was going on. So it, you know, on a Friday when people are stressed out and coming home, you know, uh, to have people, I, I, I appreciate it as a spouse of a teacher, you know, where it's not this, you know, you know, let me defrag in your presence because I had a rough day. It was, I had a brownie and it was great. Okay. So I think that we, we cannot, um, you, you know, limit that, that thinking as leaders. Um, the, other, the other part to that is, is I heard it from my kids before I heard it from my wife, but that was because I saw them first. But, you know, the kids saw the example too, the students, and that's, that's awesome too. Absolutely. And I think that brings community, right? So we, we, we have leadership that has oversight to community, both big and small, right? So we, we, we have, you see, Nehemiah has oversight to nobles and leaders, but he also has um, oversight to the person on the dung, on the, over the dung gate, right? The person working on the dung gate there on the wall, you know, the lowliest of people, uh, he treats them all the same. You know, and I think that that's what he's trying to reestablish is, is that there's no job smaller than another. And there's no person's needs that, that are less than another. Um, so and he's doing this out of reverence for God. OK, everything he does is because he's committed to God's work. Um, any other thoughts to that? So just know there's an immediate difference. So people wanted to know what Nehemiah had to say and listen to him and didn't argue because they saw his walk and they saw the moral authority before he made any kind of statement. So I, I do think 
You know, again, when people talk about what do you do the first six months on a job, if you're interviewing, it's establishing moral authority, right? I mean, that's, that should be the answer, right? I want people to see my character. Um, it's interesting because I'm interviewing for a job here possibly coming up and that feels like the answer to the first question, right? Is what, what's your first six months look like? And, and I think that, um, you know, it's just something that we should all, you know, take pride in. And, and uh, for me, that's, you know, that's of the utmost. If you can't establish it, then, then obviously you need to step back and work on yourself before being a leader. Okay, so furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotment to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Okay, so again, Okay, he was very clear to point out what had taken place and what is taking place and why it's different. So when we go back to what he said, it's because out of the reverence for God, he didn't act like that. It wasn't because he wanted to gain political points. It was out of the reverence for God. And I think it's because what God wants from us is, is why we should do this. Um, you know, so so again. Was he, you know, was he a little self-absorbed by pointing out all the things that he had done? I don't think so. I, I just think that it was part of the overall lesson that we need to do this out of the reverence for God and why other people were wrong and why the community had been wrong. And he was trying to, you know, lay that whole picture. So he had somewhere when he, when he went, we go back to that initial verse where he said he pondered. Okay, boy, he pondered a lot, didn't he? You know, because he pointed out a lot. So he, he certainly was prepared for this discussion with this large group of people, people and the influential group. What are your thoughts? I think sometimes uh, when in leadership, you're thinking about how do I influence people? How do I? And um, there's some different ways to say it, right? His motivation was because he feared the Lord. It wasn't to manipulate people, right? The goal wasn't to uh, influence them. I mean, he, he really was doing what he thought was right and honoring to God. And so I think sometimes in leadership, we, we can fall into that trap where we're like, well, I need to do this because this group of people is going to respond this way. And so, uh, and maybe it aligns with what God wants us to do anyway, but I'm doing it because I wanted their approval or I need them to do you know, to grant me favor so that when I do this, that they, they support me. So, yeah. Yeah, ab ab absolutely. A good, good comment. Um, any other thoughts with this? Let's finish up the chapter here. Okay. So then Nehemiah just basically finishes with remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. So, you know, just a closing statement now at this point, um, as, as he finishes through the chapter. And again, I think we also have to understand, I didn't, I don't think I brought up that, you know, he did speak about the surrounding nations. So up in verse 17, he was also worried, you know, about 
his ministry to the Gentiles. Okay, obviously he had commitment to the Jews, but I also think that he, he knew the Great Commission. You know, right at that point before it was given, like he knew that there there had to be a witness, even to the other people groups. Um, so I think that's important as well that that people need to see and understand that difference. Okay. Let me, let me, uh, you know, again, we've got about 15 minutes. So I want to, I want to close with, with a couple of points, have some final discussion and then kind of project into, into next week with chapter six as well. Um, but, but again, bottom line, Wearsby brought up some good comments and I thought I would throw this out here. Okay. And, and, and I think we, we do recognize this from leaders, you know, that, that, um, you know, if you can't control yourself, you know, there's no sense in doing the leadership thing, right? Um, and again, you know, somebody alluded to fearing the Lord. There's going to be another comment that Oswald Chambers makes as well. I think that's, that, that's completely true, that when you live a life for the Lord, okay, everything falls into place. So I, I didn't see any fear at all from Nehemiah. At, at no point did he say, the only emotion he said was angry, right? I didn't, I didn't hear fear, I heard anger. Um, and I think that's okay. And I, I find it interesting, you know, that at this point, he's got this project going on, building a wall, and the project was disrupted with all of this, and he still had no fear. It wasn't like he was worried about a timeline, right? You know, I, I don't think that he knew that boss was going to get after him if he didn't get it done in 52 days. So I think that was another piece that we have to keep in perspective that, you know, God's timing is perfect, you know, so we have to recognize that. You know, again, Andy Stanley talks a lot about front-end alignments and, and, and how this is a crosswalk to what happened in Nehemiah. Um, you know, I, I think it's very important for our kids. You know, I've learned this personally. You know, I, I did not prioritize Christian school for my kids. Um, I've learned to prioritize Christian school, you know, and, and I always, you know, I believe in education, okay, I, I believe in developing talent, you know, and working hard, you know, as, as an ex-coach, okay? And, and I believe in different accomplishments, okay? Um, I believe in being a good steward, you know, and having a budget and creating personal wealth. But none of that comes at the expense or prior to moral authority. And I think as we look as parents, you know, are we properly developing moral authority in our kids? You know, are we prioritizing other things over moral authority? And, and I think that's something really to take a, a hard look at um, as we're parents, but also with our employees. I mean, you know, again, if people aren't going to be honest, if they're not going to be truthful, okay, if they're not going to be kind to one another, much I'm not sure I want them. You know, I think we're starting to learn more and more with the high unemployment. I mean, Brad knows you can't hire people. He doesn't need an expert chicken sandwich maker. He needs somebody that's going to show up on time. He needs someone that's not going to steal. He needs someone that's not going to lie, right? And I think we can teach you what you need to know technically, but we can't teach you moral authority, right? I mean, that's, I'm seeing that in my workforce, you know, I, I, I spend three weeks, remember in a school district, we can only hire people once a month. So when we get it wrong, you got to wait another month to hire someone for that position. So I've had, you know, I'll hire a, a, a teacher's aide, you know, that'll work one day and do something crazy, 
And then I got to wait a whole nother month to go through the process again and post for two weeks and interview and the whole nine yards. I mean, it's, it's a big headache. So I think for us, again, what's our priority as leaders and who our employees are, you know, something to consider. Okay, you know, again, I wanted to spend a lot of time on losing your moral authority, you know, and, and, and how do you get it back? You know, uh, Zacchaeus was a good example, okay, of what he had to do in order to gain his moral authority back. You know, like he couldn't just return what he had taken. He had to do it several times over again okay, in order to restore what he had lost by the overtaxation. And I, I think Zacchaeus is a good example of that, that I think he reclaimed moral authority, but I'm not sure that happens very easily. Can you think about anybody else that's tried to reclaim moral authority and it, and it just hasn't worked? Any examples? I hate to say saying sorry is not good enough but it's not, you know, people aren't going to, obviously that's a start. Repentance is a start, right? Okay. But, but I think that there has to be something that's followed with it so that people will, will earn trust again, right? Think of a marriage, you know, when there's, you know, something that goes wrong in a marriage, you can't just say, I'm sorry, I did this. There's got to be something else to reestablish moral authority. Okay, and I kind of went through you know, a couple other things I pulled out. I just, again, I love Andy Stanley, so I, I tend to get off the, off the grid with him a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Andy Stanley gave a, a really you know, nice example of a, a student who was in a, in a college class. Okay, and their, their assignment was to persuade people um, about a conference, uh, a, a, a topic, and, and they chose abortion. So, you know, they prepared a speech, um, you know, just to persuade people why they shouldn't have abortion. And this person finished up with a five by seven picture of a child of mixed race because uh, this person was raped um, by, 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 by somebody and then had the child and loves her child. And I think it takes sometimes you know, for us, you know, to really prove to people, you know, the most powerful arguments come from our personal experiences, right? And I think that um, that's what people want to see from leadership. And, and, you know, Andy Stanley did a nice job with this in his, in his chapter. A couple of questions, um, you know, just to consider as we walk away, and, and, and I've talked about it at nausea here, um, just to consider. Are there alignment issues that we got to consider in our organization? And can you establish or reestablish moral authority once it's lost? I think we have to preview this with our kids. I think we have to preview this with our employees because they have to understand, you know, when your kid sneaks out of the house, okay, you can't just say, I'm sorry. You know, you've got to reestablish that, that moral authority for, for us as parents. And I think those are good conversations to have with your kids. I've watched my kid at two in the morning trying to get in the car to leave the house when he's not supposed to. Okay. You know, those are good things that happen to parents. I got to tell you, you know, God gives you 
those good experiences. I have one of my, my children, this is going to be a whole chapter in a book if I ever write it one day, about how, how they stole from the prize box as a kindergartner. You know, think about how mortified Jen and I were when the kid came home and said, I did great today. I got a prize. And then the teacher called 30 minutes later and said the kid stole from the prize box. He had a terrible day. Okay. And, and you know, that's the church we go to. That's the, you know, school my wife works at. And, and we're the worst parents on the planet. You know, that was a blessing in parenting because we refer back to that on a regular basis. And, and this individual might be in his, in his 20s. Okay. Um, so I think that's a good thing to happen. You need to praise those moments as parents when you can realign things, when you can reestablish moral authority with them because they're going to make mistakes that way. Yeah, I think, I think Mike, just to add something to that, I think, you know, your alignment or Andy Standy's alignment analogy, that's, that's like a daily thing. I think, I mean, honestly, we have, um, there are always things that kind of pop up in life. Um, you know, whether it's, we'll be on one end or the other, I feel like of the alignment. Um, sometimes it's things that we do that, you know, you shouldn't, you know, you said the wrong thing to your spouse or, um, or, or a, a fellow leader at work. Um, you know, I think it's, it's inevitable, you know, getting yourself realigned is inevitable. I think it's just being prepared and uh, making sure you go about it the right way. When I think of these, I'm telling you, my neighbor planted these uh, bamboo trees. Okay. I never thought anything about it. Right. Okay. I don't know if you know anything about bamboo. See pretty cool in Elizabethtown. I saw a bamboo tree next door, but you realize them roots go underground for like 90 feet. And all of a sudden bamboo started coming up in my yard. Okay, so number two speaks right, <laughs> right to that, Ryan. Okay, where's he said when you ignore a problem, it goes underground, baby. Okay, and it's like bamboo. I'm telling you right now, them, them roots get deeper and the fruit gets 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 more bitter. And, and I think for us as leaders, I would say that publicly a hundred times over again to your constituent. When you have a when you have a staff meeting once a week. Okay, when you have whatever you do, a, a retreat, you better talk to them about how problems don't go away. They just go underground. You know, they don't disappear magically. You know, when you have a leadership team dealing with situations, I mean, you can you can be a pretty good prayer warrior and try and pray them away. That's 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 for certain. But I, I'm going to tell you, they go underground and, and they become a nightmare. So I, I love that point that Wearsby makes. Um Number one, obviously going back up, you know, people mean problems, more people, more problems, right? We're all, we're all dirty, rotten sinners. So I think that you better expect it. Uh, number three, again, your integrity is like extra strength medicine. You know, you have good integrity. Okay. You got better meds. Okay. If you bad integrity, your meds stink. Okay. So, I, you know, I think that that's where we've got to live in what we've learned from Nehemiah. And then I, I, I talk about Oswald Chambers. You know, when you fear God, you fear nothing. When you do not fear God, you fear everything. Right? Okay. So look at the world we live in. Okay. Anybody, you know, I feel awfully comfortable with what's going on in the world simply because I fear God, you know, and, and, and I think when we get to that place, 
Okay. It, it allows you to be like Nehemiah, you know, and, and I think when you're not in that place, you can't be Nehemiah. You can't be aggressive with the nobles. You can't speak publicly. You can't call people out. You can't leave your, your, your safe place to go do something difficult because you fear other things. Um, you know, it, it, to me, it's a simple concept. You know, you know, spiritual walk has always been simple to me, you know, because it, it, life was pretty profound before I found the Lord. And, and I found the Lord. It's like, I can't believe people fight over this thing so much because, you know, there's some faith-based thinking that's got to go on. We're not going to have every answer, but boy, is it pretty peaceful. You know, I was challenged this week. I was supposed to get a, a vaccination shot and everybody's got to make their decision on that one. And I'm thinking to myself, holy mackerel, I'm going to have a heart attack or cancer or something like that, or, you know, die from a back surgery before I, I die from COVID. And I think God is going to, God's got a plan for me. If he wants me, you know, to, to die of COVID, that's going to happen. And I think, I don't want to be irresponsible, but I also think too, I, I want to properly respect the Lord and, and he'll lead me towards where I need to go. If I need that vaccination, he'll lead me there. You know, so I think that's a, I'm not there yet. You know, maybe I will be at some point. Okay. Any other final thoughts about what you learned or going through this chapter? Okay. The hour has come. Let's, um, you know, closing thought basically Okay, as we look at this change, we didn't, I didn't talk about this at all. I hate that I missed this. Okay, all these problems that existed. Do you think building the wall caused this problem? You know, I find it fascinating. We should have talked about this a lot more, but I totally missed that. I, this, is, this is all the drugs I'm on. I, I, I got I to get, get off this back stuff. When we have these problems, I've seen this before. I put out a new initiative. You know, we're going to do a new math series, you know, across the district. I did that last year. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we've got problems, um, you know, with facilities. You know, like the math series caused the problems with facilities, right? Or the math series caused the problems, you know, with parent communication. Okay, no, it didn't. It just exposed it more. You know what I mean? And I, I think we, we look at this. And, and think of those four problems, okay? Did building a wall, okay, cause slavery? Did it cause high taxation, okay? Did it cause, um, it, you know, hunger and, and uh, lack of food? Um, did, it, did it cause taking people's land and property? No, no, that didn't cause any of that, okay? It, it just exposed it. So I think you've gotta be very careful as a leader in the, as we think about what Nehemiah did, Satan attacked him all over the place with issues that already existed. You know, I was surprised at what point, why didn't Nehemiah say, listen, you, you crazy people, this, this wall did not cause this, you know, and he never said that, which I would have. I mean, I have to admit, I would have said that. Any other final thoughts? Well, I was going to give Nehemiah props for actually taking the time to listen and care. I think sometimes I get very task focused and, hey, I'm here to build a wall. Like you guys got your own thing going on. Go to your leaders, your nobles, and just kind of push it under the rug. And like this is a, like you said, it came to light 
Um, and I'm surprised I actually got that far on the wall before it came out sooner than that. So like, I give him props that he stopped and he cared. I mean, he was already dealing with people attacking and they're carrying swords and trowels. And, you know, then you have like a cultural crack, a foundation in the way they either rule or faith and who they're, you know, all of that. It's just, it's amazing that he stayed focused on the wall and taking care of the people. I think that's a challenge to me to like, as busy as I get to be able to stop and listen to the true needs of the people and see what's going on. Absolutely. So here's, you can here's also, what, go You can also think that uh, the, the rebuilding was, was in the people that he was working with and not just the physical wall that was being rebuilt at the city. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and I think as we look at into next week, which is really exciting, you know, so Nehemiah in chapter four was attacked from the outside. Okay. They went after him from the inside and guess who they're coming after in, in chapter six, they're coming after that leader, you know, they, they've him hot around this. So, so now we're going to find out, okay, now it's personal, you know, so we're going to get after Nehemiah and the leader. They tried a million ways to get at him. It didn't work. So now it's, it's like a direct attack. And, and, you know, it gets exciting as, you know, just to watch him because this whole, this whole transition as to, you know, how the enemy gets after us, okay, is amazing, but there is going to be a personal attack, you know, and I think that's what we have to prepare ourselves for ultimately is, you know, it could be your family, could be you, could be your integrity, your moral authority, they're, they're coming. Any final thoughts? Okay, I look, look, look forward to seeing you next week for sure. Let's get back at it. Everybody have a great week. Sounds great. Thanks, Thanks Mike. Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike.